Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering chapter 12 of Mysteries of Creation, pages 117 to 121. We're in episode 691, and the title of this episode is The Plurality of Gods. I will dedicate the program and then we'll begin the reading. O Yehovah, our Elohim, we come to thee in the name of thy Son, Yeshua, our Messiah. We thank thee, Father, for the knowledge that we have been given to know that Yeshua, who the Gentiles call Jesus, is our Messiah, that he is our Redeemer, that he paid for our sins upon the uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane and sealed that upon the cross, and that he broke the bands of death that we may come back into thy presence. We thank thee, Father, that he was willing to do this for us and for thee, because we know that you love us as he loves us, and you desire that we come back into thy presence, that we go through the travails of this life to gain experience that we may obtain a higher resurrection. We thank thee, Father, for the blessings that we have been given, all of our many blessings. We love thee, Father, and we say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. The plurality of gods Chapter 12 of Mysteries of Creation, Episode 691, Pages 117 to 121. Another problem in in the creation account will be discussed in this chapter, whether it was one or two or more individuals who played a part in the creation of this earth. Some scriptures declare that there are three gods, while a few indicate there is only one God. But from the Book of Mormon come these confusing, confusing statements, quote, Everything shall be restored to its perfect frame, and be arraigned before the bar of Christ, the Son, and God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is one eternal God to be judged according to their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And quote Alma in the Book of Mormon, chapter 11, verse 44. Continuing on with another quote, to sing ceaseless praises with the choirs above unto the Father and unto the Son and unto the Holy Ghost, which are one God, in a state of happiness which hath no end. Mormon in the Book of Mormon, chapter 7, verse 7. And from the Bible, there are similar passages, such as 
Quote, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Something really interesting about this. Um, so there's two things that I want to go over real quick. So we have one God that we worship, and that is Yehovah our Elohim. He is our God. And under his direction is the first presidency of this earth, which is God the Creator, who is our father Adam, who is Michael. He helped to create this earth under the direct direction of Yehovah our Elohim. Then we have the Redeemer, who is Yeshua, who the Gentiles called Jesus. And he is the first witness or first counselor of the Father. He is Messiah ben uh, Judah. And then we have the third witness, or God the witness, who many call the Holy Ghost, or the Ruach HaKodesh. And he is the second witness or second counselor of the Father. He's the second apostle of the Father. So Jesus Christ being the first. Michael, who is our common father who became Adam, is the morning star. Jesus, well, let me just go back. Michael came in the, the morning of the history of this earth. His dispensation was the first dispensation and in his dispensation there were many prophets who came uh, to share the word of God with the people Um, when it came time for a transition from the the morning star dispensation or the first major dispensation God sent one mighty and strong who was John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of Messiah ben Judah or the King Messiah who we call Jesus Christ who is Yeshua Um, and he Yeshua is the bright and morning star according to Revelation now in the scriptures it talks about um, the evening star being Lucifer And we know that Lucifer fell from his position and that name was taken from him and he was given another name, which is that of the accuser or Hasatan, who we would call Satan. And another another person was chosen to take that place as the bearer of light and truth, which is the title of God the Witness, who we would call the Holy Ghost or the Ruach HaKodesh. Now, something else interesting in this chapter. So we have three that bear witness, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But then there's this mystery. Three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. Now, when Jesus was upon the cross, they put that spear into his side and water gushed out and went down on the ground and there was that earthquake, right? 
Well, that water carried the blood of Jesus down to under Jeremiah's grotto, under Golgotha. And it sprinkled the mercy seat, which was hidden by Jeremiah before the Babylonian captivity. When the temple, when Jerusalem was being sacked and the temple was being destroyed, they knew that that was going to happen. And Solomon, in his wisdom, created caves under the temple complex where they were able to hide many things, including the most sacred things in the temple, which would be the Ark of the Covenant, um, possibly the menorah. There's temple furniture down there that was, uh, and utensils that were anointed. And it remained there, uh, and it still is there. But when Jesus was crucified and they put that spear in his side, that water carried that blood down into the crack and it it went down directly under the cross of calvary and sprinkled the the mercy seat of the temple Um, there was a man by the name of ron wyatt who was actually a seventh day adventist who god had um chosen him to find many different things he found mount sinai he found the Red Sea crossing. Um, he found Noah's Ark. Like he found a lot of things with, the, by the grace and help of God, through angels that that directed him where these things were. And he was able to go down into the caves under the temple complex, and he found the Ark of the Covenant. Now, nobody is allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant unless they're given a special dispensation to do so, but he was, and the angel instructed him to take a sample of the blood on the mercy seat to a laboratory where they re... um, I can't remember what the word is for it now... They basically put a saline solution with the dried blood and they looked at it under a microscope and it was still alive. So the spirit was still in the blood and the blood had been carried by the water and it was in the earth. So now we understand John chapter 1 verses, uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 5 verse 8 when it talks about the three that bear witness in the earth the spirit the water and the blood that's it when the jews saw that the blood was still alive which is not possible dried blood is not alive it is dead but this blood was still alive they took the blood and they they um they uh I don't know how they do this, but they looked at the DNA pattern and they saw that this blood had 23 chromosomes for the mother and only one chromosome for the father, which is also not possible according to our modern understanding. This does not happen. Normal human blood has, and modern blood for any animal has 23 chromosomes from the father and 23 chromosomes from the mother. The Jews who were the scientists in this lab where this blood was taken to asked Ron Wyatt, whose blood is this? 
And he told him, this is the blood of Yeshua, your Messiah. And those those Jews fell on their knees and they tore their shirts and wept out in agony because they realized that Yeshua really was who he proclaimed to be and they had been rejecting him as a people. Um, Now, just on a side note, they did try to take the Ark of the Covenant out of Jeremiah's grotto and everyone who touched it was supposedly a high priest and was able to touch it. But every person, I think there was six to eight, I think, that touched it to carry it out, each one of them died. And they had to call Ron Wyatt back, and he took a body board, uh, a board, um, which would be used for paramedics to take injured or dead bodies uh, out of of caves, I guess. Well, they use them in ambulances too, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But they, um, Ron Wyatt, had to put the bodies of those high priests that touched the Ark of the Covenant onto these uh, backboards and he had to basically secure them to the backboard and they pulled them out and then they they buried them so um so that is one mystery that uh for many years had not been fulfilled and was not understood which now we completely understand why the scripture says three bear witness in the earth the spirit the water and the blood so one of my little tangents um i one of the things that i really like about being a truck driver is the ability to be by myself a lot of the time to study so many different things and um i used to to listen to a lot of tapes and stuff because i've been a truck driver since the 90s um i used to spend between um two to four hundred dollars a month at Siegel Book and Tape and Deseret Book and the Church Distribution Center. And then when podcasts started coming out, I would just devour podcasts on these topics. And then when I was able to, um, well, I watched YouTube videos too on my time off, but um, a number of years ago, they made it so that if you subscribe to what they called YouTube Red, which is now called YouTube Premium, you are able to upload the videos to your phone so you could listen to them uh, without internet connection. And so, or you could watch them even, but I just listened to them. I put them on my, my uh, truck radio as i'm driving along and i just listen it and it goes through the play uh, the different videos when one ends another will begin and i'll like on my phone right now i i have probably two or three weeks worth of videos to to listen to and i'll never get through them all but when i get bored of one and i'm like oh this isn't really worth my time listening to i'll just fast forward to the next one which is the click of a button. It's not a big deal. Um, but sometimes I'll be bored and and the spirit will say, no, wait, just listen. And I'll be like, okay, I'll just listen. This is so boring. But anyway, and then something will come up and it'll be a nugget of knowledge and I'll be like, oh, that's why I needed to listen to this. <laughs> anyway, but um, it was... Uh, the YouTube videos that I listened to that 
um, that led me to this understanding. And then I was able to research it more um, after I was notified basically by a YouTube video that this had been the case with Ron Wyatt. And, uh, well, Ron Wyatt's story is just, his life was an amazing life. He was able to do so much in discovering things that that a lot of people thought were just mythology, but there's actual evidence for the Bible and the things that he discovered. So, anyway, getting back into the reading. For centuries, these three gods have been called the Trinity. And we're on page 118 at 17%. Some scriptures say it was the Father who created the earth, while others support the idea that it was Jesus Christ. See, they believe Jesus Christ and the Father are the same thing. They completely misunderstand the, the, the scriptures. And you know, another thing, the Trinity doctrine wasn't settled until the Council of Nicaea under the reign of Constantine. 300 years after Christ, after Jesus, there were no prophets among them. These were men who took logic and like they could go one way or the other. And like there was a man by the name of Arrhenius or um, Arius. He was a heretic as far as everybody else was concerned because he was like, no, this Trinity doctrine is wrong. And they actually treated him as a heretic and they punished him for not going along with what everybody else was saying. But it was at that Council of Nicaea that they came up with this Trinity doctrine and the Trinity doctrine is just delusion. Jesus Christ said, why do you call me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. He said, I have not yet ascended to my father. If he was the father, why, how would he not ascend unto himself? Like, or how could he ascend unto himself? Like, there's just, and there's like the logic of man. They can like be like a greased pig and just like, you know, make their way through any doctrine that they they feel is the doctrine that is right. But without revelation, you cannot know the truth of these things. That's why in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And that's what we should do. And, And in the book of Revelation, it says that the testimony of Jesus Christ comes by the spirit of prophecy, or in other words, the the spirit of revelation. You cannot know Jesus as the Christ by your logic. And you cannot understand the true doctrines of the Father and the Son by your logic alone. You must get revelation. And all of those people who come to Jesus Christ at the judgment, and they say, have not we done many works and miracles in your name? And he says, depart from me. You never knew me. That's the correct interpretation of that scripture. He does not say, I never knew you. He knows who they are. But you never knew me. And why does he say that? Because they never got revelation about Jesus Christ and who he was. 
They learned about Jesus Christ by other individuals and they saw logic in it and they used their logic to determine doctrine, which is how you get the doctrines of men mingled with scripture. But the father is separate from the son and the son is separate from the witness and they are all separate from Jehovah, our Elohim. But they have one purpose, which is the to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of God's children, of all of us, and to fill the universe with organized creation. That is our overall mission statement. And from time to time, we send prophets upon the earth to correct the people in their misunderstanding that they get through their own logic. And from time to time, we each have our time on the earth to help assist our brothers and sisters, or if in the case of Adam, Michael, Michael Adam, to assist his children. Jesus Christ came in the meridian of time. He's called the the bright and morning star. And he showed us how to live Torah or the instructions of God perfectly. He did not seal all of that upon the cross. Not saying that the Torah in its fullness is still under, uh, we're still under the law. But that there are many instructions in the Torah which are still applicable unto us. It's the sacrifices that are not, the sacrifices that are part of Torah that are not applicable to us in our day. But there were sacrifices which were before the Torah and they are going to be applicable unto us. In Ezekiel, it talks about how in the millennial reign that there will be sacrifice in the temple again, blood sacrifice. So anyway, um, going off into all these tangents and stuff, I I probably, I guess I do need to say it. Um, Somebody told me once, actually I've been told many times by different people, like when you go off on tangents, it's things I needed to hear because I didn't understand them and I was pondering over them. So I don't, I try not to question when I go off on these tangents. But anyway, um... I have come down as the witness of the Father and the Son to set in order the house of God in this dispensation. Joseph Smith was like John the Baptist that prepared the way for this time. That he laid the foundation of Zion's redemption and he pushed as far as he could go before the people couldn't take anymore. And then he was taken because of the disobedience and the sloth of the people in Nauvoo. And now I'm here to finish the work. So anyway, and part of this ministry and this podcast is setting the house of God in order as far as knowledge goes. But when the Father placed his hands upon my head in 2003, he gave me the sealing power and he sealed me up into himself, and those who are sealed to me are sealed up through me unto the heavens, to the fathers and the mothers and the brothers and sisters in the heavens.
Joseph Smith was that man on the earth while he was alive and he was faithful in his calling and then he was taken, not because of any fault of his own. Anyway, um, continuing on. Some scriptures say it was the Father who created the earth, while others support the idea that it was Jesus Christ. However, there are many passages clearly showing that there were two or more who participated in the earth's creation, such as, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And you can find that in Bereshit or Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then the Lord said, Let us go down. And they went down in the beginning, and they, that is the gods, or the Elohim, as it is more correctly translated, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. Abraham chapter 4, verse 1. And the gods also said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and it shall be and it shall divide the waters from the waters. And the gods ordered the expanse so that it divided the waters which were under the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so, even as they ordered. And the gods called the he- uh, the expanse heaven. Abraham chapter four. Verses six and eight are through eight. You know what's interesting? You know how they lived for ridiculous amounts of time before the flood? Part of the reason for that is because before the flood, the atmosphere was water. Like not where we breathe, but like up in the atmosphere, up in the uh, what you might call the stratosphere, the ionosphere, whatever very high up there, the whole earth was surrounded by water. And that water acted as a filtration so that the harmful rays and the effects of the sun had to go through all of the different layers, but they eventually, they had to, they had to go, well, they couldn't go through that, that watery atmosphere that we had. And so... The radiation which the sun emits did not affect them like it affects us. Because after the flood, water came up from the below, but it also came down from above. And before that, there had never been rain, I think. I'm not sure. I haven't really studied that. I've heard people talk about that, but I don't know for sure because I've never gone into that topic. But, but there had never been a flood. So all of that atmospheric water comes down onto the earth and it floods and Noah's Ark floats upon the waters and it doesn't have an anchor. You know, it it does have some ballast anchors according to what Ron Wyatt found, but it doesn't have like an anchor to keep it stable and uh, to, to keep it in one place. And it lifts off the ground and then it is moved over the course of a, a period of time, and eventually the the waters receded. Now it's interesting. A lot of these scientists talk about Pangaea because all of these continents fit together in such a way. Yeah, but the fault lines in the middle of the ocean they also fit the continents' coastlines. 
what happened was the earth was uh, a sphere. So don't get me wrong when I say it was flat, but it didn't have these massive mountains like it does today. It also didn't have these great depths in the ocean like it has today. When the water fell from the sky and came up from the, the underneath the earth, the land didn't have massive mountains. It did not have abysses in the oceans, and it did not have uh, it didn't have Mount Everest's either. When the flood was taking place, the earth was being transformed. And as it was being transformed, there were valleys in certain areas that went or that that God lowered and there was land that was raised up and that's when you see the mountains the first time Moses had ever seen not Moses Noah had ever seen a, like a really tall mountain was when he stepped foot off the ark on Mount Ararat and as the water receded um, or as the earth was shifting, the water was receding down into the abysses, which we look and we call the oceans today. And the continents were formed at that time. They were not formed in the creation like they are now. And I don't know why I had to say all of that, but something triggered it. So anyway, so God went down to organize men in their own image, in the image of the Elohim to form they him, male and female to form they them. Abraham chapter four, verse 27. Scholars search the Bible for clues to solve these apparent contradictions and have come up with a very, uh, come up with various explanations. For example, the Bible teaches that each person of the Trinity has a special function, both in the work of creation and in the work of redemption. The Father is the source of all things, 1 Corinthians chapter, four, uh, chapter 8, verse 6. And you know what? We do have our roles uh, in the creation. It was Michael that named all of the plants and all of the animals. He was the one with the assistance of others that brought those animals and their, those plants to seed this earth. And they were brought on celestial... <laughs> this is getting scientific now. They were brought on these massive celestial sh uh, spaceships. <laughs> I know, I... Like, as crazy as I sound... But it's true. I personally believe, but don't know, but that the pyramids of Giza were, were um, and different pyramids around the earth were um, built by the ancients. Not the well. Uh, this is before. This this all happened during the the. Um, the seeding of this earth with plants and animals, that those those pyramids were built as landing platforms for, for these massive ships that brought the plants and the animals here from other planets. See, when I look at the gods and when I see the gods and when I think about the gods, I don't think about 
some heavenly sky daddy with a big long beard that like floats in and of himself like in the ether or whatever like these individuals god the eternal father and the council of the elohim these are advanced people who have gained the highest levels of resurrection and we can become like they are but we're not as ancient as they are uh, in the fact that our spirits were not um well to them our spirits would be babies even though we may have existed for thousands and thousands and probably even more I got an alert on my phone. I don't know what the alert was for. It didn't tell me. I just said, dismiss alert. I'm like, oh, okay. Anyway, but... um, (laughs) These individuals have learned the laws of the universe far beyond anything that we could even comprehend in our state of infancy. Even as smart as some of the people are on this planet and as smart as the scientists and whatnot, these individuals have been and are, they're not even to the point of kindergarten yet compared to the, the Elohim. And they're, they are an advanced people with advanced technology that would seem as magic to us. All right, so I'm going to continue on with the reading. From whom are all things? He is the one who planned and ordered redemption. And that's Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties, page 357. Although many scriptures indicate there is only one God, others imply there are three. In actuality, both ideas can be correct. Paul wrote, and we're on page 119 at 39%, but this is Paul. For though there be that are called gods or Elohim, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many. But unto us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus, or one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. First Corinthians chapter eight, verses five and six. So uh, Paul had a pretty good idea of things, um, but I'm going to suggest something a little bit different. Now, I know Joseph Smith said if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants, set them down as imposters. And what I'm going to say might seem a little bit contradictory to that statement, but let me just explain. We have one Elohim who is the one that we worship. We call him Yehovah, our 
Elohim. Not Jesus. Not Adam. Yehovah. Yehovah is our Elohim. And he is the one that we worship. We honor our father, Michael, who became Adam. And we honor and we reverence Michael and uh, Michael Adam and also Yeshua, who the Gentiles called Jesus. We give them great honor. But we worship Yehovah our Elohim. He is the God of this earth. And Michael and Jesus are under his authority. In fact, Michael and Jesus were his first and second counselors. When he was the president of an older earth. When Jehovah was an Adam on an older earth, Michael was the redeemer of that earth, the first witness or apostle of Jehovah, our Elohim. And Jesus was the second witness or apostle of Jehovah, our Elohim. But at that time, he was not an Elohim. He was Adam. And he had an Elohim above him who was over all. But in the progression of the gods, Jehovah has become an Elohim. Michael has become the creator or the father, both physically and spiritually. And Jesus has gone from the the act of being a Holy Ghost to becoming a Redeemer. And he is the, the first witness or apostle of the Father. And I am the second. Anyway, continuing on. The prophet Joseph Smith clarified further. Many men say there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are only one God. I say that is a strange God anyhow. Three in one and one in three, it is a curious organization. Father, I pray not for the world, but I pray for them which thou hast given me. Holy Father, keep thou through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are, as we are, are all to be crammed into one God, according to this uh, to sectarianism, which is apostate Christianity. It would make the biggest God in all the world. He would be a wonderfully big God. He would be a giant or a monster, because we'd all become like if. So when Jesus was like, make them one with us, and he was talking about the 12. So now we have a fifth trinity, right? It's not a trinity, because at first it was there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's a trinity. But now we've got Jesus praying that that God make them, the apostles, one with 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 Jesus Christ and one with the Father, as he is one with the Father. So the fifth, the twelve become one with, with the Father and the Son. So now you've got fifteen. So we we should call it a fifteenity, right? And all of us who become Christians and become one with the Father, 
were just added to this great big old monster that that grows and grows and grows and you know what it reminds me of and this might be blasphemous to some of you who still believe in the trinity but there was a movie by the by the name of poltergeist which it's a scary movie i saw it when i was like a kid and i think it came out in like 87 or something like 1987 um and i because of my experience, I look at that story as a, the story of a fam, uh, the bond of love of a family. When they wanted, when the 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 demon basically wanted to take Caroline, the the daughter, the family went to hell to get her back, and then they ran as a family away from this and then you've got poltergeist 2 and poltergeist 3 where they they keep running from this this entity that's trying to take this pure innocent spirit who the character's name is caroline um and just thinking about my own life uh, ever since i was a very small child there has been a lot of spiritual activity around me my whole life um my mom told me about demonic activity in our home um before i could remember like back when i was like one two three my mom got rid of me and left me with strangers for a couple of weeks when i was like two years old and then she came back and got me and she she took me to my grandparents' house and got rid of me again. And then from the time I was two years old all the way until I was like 16, um, I was going back and forth between my grandparents and my mom and my aunts and uncles. And then in my later years, they would put me in different institutions just to get rid of me because this demonic entity would follow me around. And instead of protecting me, and remaining a, a bonded family like in Poltergeist, they stayed together to protect Caroline. I wasn't protected. In fact, the first time I saw Satan, I was five years old. I still remember it was a Saturday morning. I remember I was going to get up. I was excited because there was cartoons on Saturday morning back in the 80s. I w it would have been 1982. And I woke up and my bed was up against the corner. And then um, where the, my, the head of the bed was, there was the, this window. And we didn't have any curtains on the window. So, and that was facing the east. And we lived in North Salt Lake, kind of by the refineries on the west side of I-15. There's like a frontage road that I-15 comes and then the I-15 goes over the frontage road. If you know where that is by the refineries, you can find where I used to live. It used to be a pink house, I, uh, like a orangish, pinkish brick house with a flat roof on it. Like it's a poor house, but that's where we lived. And my bedroom was on the north, well... I think there was my sister's bedroom and then my bedroom and then my mom's bedroom. But anyway, my bedroom had the window facing the east and the sun had come up over the mountains 
of North Salt Lake. And it was shining in my bedroom, so it was really bright in my room. And usually when, like, my mom would leave my door open. And when I'd be laying in bed, I could look and there would be the, the through the, the hallway and there was kind of a corner there. But I could see the, the range with the light on it over the stove in the kitchen. And she would leave that on as kind of like a nightlight. Well, I remember getting, uh, starting to get up and look like waking up and I looked and there was a man standing in the doorway that was blocking my view of that, that range stovetop. And he was pure black. I could not see through him. And I didn't know what to call him, but the, the my five-year-old mind, it, it reminded me of Darth Vader. It wasn't until later on, and I had seen him many, many times throughout my life, um, it wasn't until later on that I found out that that was actually Satan himself. And the reason why um, he had such an interest in me is because I was the one who replaced him when he fell from his position as God the Witness. But anyway, getting back to the poltergeist, and the reason why it reminds me of poltergeist is um, this, this great big old monster that consumes all of these people who become one with him. Like, you know, I was talking about the fifth and then you've got, like, all of these other ones who also are merged into this great big old monster that we call God. It remind, Poltergeist reminds me because when they went into the void to get Caroline back, there were souls that were in these great big old strands, and you could see their faces, but they were all merged together, and they could not escape one another because this demon priest called Cain he had figured out a way to like bind these souls so that so that they could not escape him basically and Caroline was in this this great big old monster thing and you could see her face and through some kind of act I, I can't remember it's been a long time since I've seen the movie but some kind of act, they um, are able to pull Caroline out from the, the the oneness of this great big old demon monster, right? So when they talk about the the fiftinity, and that's a word that I um, coined, I guess. Well, I'm pretty sure other people have coined it as well. I mean, I don't think I'm the only one. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, like, that's what I think of when I think of the fiftinity, like this consuming monster that we become one with. Oh, and it's going to be so great, and but we can never be free from it. I don't know. It just sounds weird to me. But anyway, continuing on with the text of the book that we're reading. And by the way, we're at 50% through the reading right now. I want to read the text to you myself. I am agreed with the Father, and the Father is agreed with me, and we are agreed as one. That's how it should be translated. Anyway, the Greek shows that it should be agreed. Father, I pray for them which thou hast given me out of this world, and not for those alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, 
that they may be agreed as thou, Father, art with me and I with thee, and that they also may be agreed with us and all come to dwell in unity and in all the glory and everlasting burnings of the gods or the Elohim. And then we shall see that as we are seen and our and be as our God or our Elohim, and he as as his father. I want to reason a little on the subject. I learned it by translating the papyrus, which is now at my house. And this is Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 372. Let me see here. There was a couple things that I wanted to cover but I as I was reading I was like oh I'm going to finish the text and then I'll go back over it oh well one of the things is okay so what came to my mind came to my mind because there's somebody who's listening to this rec- this recording and they're thinking of a specific scripture. And the scripture basically is, beware of those who try to change the gospel. If it is not as the word from us, don't listen to them, basically. But, but we're also warned in the, in the New Testament that there are already grievous wolves among us that come in and they're basically trying to change the doctrine. So those warnings are there. But what happened was Rome was able to completely hijack Christianity and form it into an image that, of its choosing. Now, it's still true that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He did pay for our sins and our transgressions, but they have changed the doctrine. So when it says, don't accept anything uh, anything other, other than what we have told you, well, that was good for them. But in another uh, case, they say that grievous wolves have already entered in among the flock and they're changing things. That didn't stop when the apostles died. It only got worse. At first, they were murdered. The the disciples, the, the Christians were murdered over and over and over again. But eventually, when when the Romans were able to hijack Christianity fully, they stopped murdering them and they, they made it they made the following the laws of God illegal. If you tried to keep the true Sabbath, they would put you to death. Whether you were Jew or Christian, you would be put to the gallows or to the cross or to whatever other torture method that they had to, to murder you, to scare everybody uh, into submission. And they turned the the Hebrew Messiah into the Greek Jesus. And they're two separate two separate people. Our Messiah was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite, a pure blood Jew. 
of the line of King David. He lived the Torah perfectly as an example of how we should live. Everything that he taught comes from the Torah or everything that he expounded upon, it comes from the Torah. There was no New Testament back then. There were no Gospels, none of that. Jesus Christ was a rabbi who was a Jew. They would even call him rabbi. He would even stand up in the synagogue and, and teach, teach the people. But when Rome got their hands on early Christianity, they hijacked it and they changed it. And the reason why God had to send a prophet in the last days was to restore the truth of the gospel. All of these other churches are apostate. None of them have prophets who have restored anything, but the prophet Joseph Smith was the one who was sent who has restored things. In the book of Revelation, it says, And I saw an angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth in the last days, crying, Repent ye, repent ye, the day of the Lord is at hand. That, that angel that came with the everlasting gospel to give to them that dwell on the earth in the last days is the, is the angel Moroni, and the prophet that it was, that it was that gospel was given to is the prophet Joseph Smith. He restored the truth. And if you have a problem with the things that I am saying, you can take it up with God because God did restore this truth that I am teaching to you today through myself and through the prophet Joseph Smith. He laid the foundation. I have come to finish the work. And the witness of the truth of these things is spoken of in Isaiah chapter, I think it's chapter 11. No, it's 29. Thank you. 29. Where there is a book buried in the earth, which has the testimony of the people who are, have died. It's buried in the earth. And it is, it is taken up out of the earth. And it gives us, a, and it's a testimony, and it gives us a time for when this should happen to look for a sign. And it talks about Lebanon being esteemed as a forest. Lebanon was, was it had woods and cedars and trees. But after 1948, I think it was, they planted one Jew for Every, uh, one tree for every Jew killed in the Holocaust and Lebanon became esteemed as, as a great forest. And this six million trees planted in, a, in an area about the size of Los Angeles, like it's not that big. Six million trees planted for, and this is a fulfillment of when you should be looking for the fulfillment of this book coming forth out of the dust. That is the Book of Mormon. Ezekiel chapter 37 talks about a record, which is called a stick, or a stick that a scroll is written upon, to rolled upon. And God says that there will be a stick of Judah, 
a record for the tribe of Judah and a record for the tribe of Joseph. And they will become one in his hands. Well, you get the Bible from, from the Jews. You get the New Testament from the Jews. Jesus Christ was a Jew. So were Peter, James, and John. That record is a scroll or a record of the tribe of Judah or the stick of Judah. But where is the stick of Joseph? Jesus Christ said, other sheep I have, and this is right before he dies. He says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. So he's going to go bring them. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring, that there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Was he not the shepherd of the Jews and the shepherd of the tribe of Joseph? Ezekiel said that there would be a record from the tribe of Joseph, but we don't have that record because what we get from the Jews is primarily the Bible, which is primarily from the Jews. Jesus Christ said he had to go visit other people He had to do it. The Christian will say, well, he sent the missionaries to do it. The apostles, no, he said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold that I must go to, that I must bring. He did that work. After he was put to death and raised on the third day, after the day of first fruits, after the days of Shavuot, after his resurrection, he went to the people in the Americas, in the North American continent, where the tribe of Joseph had been led off to, and he personally appeared to those people. In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is giving a blessing to his, his son Joseph, and he says that his posterity would be taken from the posterity of his brethren to a place of geological significance, the the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills, that they would be separated from their brethren, and they were separated. The utmost bounds of the everlasting hills is a geological indicator which can only be fulfilled by looking at the globe and seeing the mountain chain which starts at the south tip of South America and is a continuous mountain chain all the way up through South America, through the Isthmus of Panama, all the way up through Mexico and Latin America, all the way up through the United States and up into Canada and up into Alaska. These are the everlasting hills and the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills is North America. That's where the tribes of Joseph would be taken to. And that's where they are. And that's where Jesus Christ went to when he said, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring, that there may be one fold and one shepherd. In Isaiah 29, the the record that speaks from the dust, that is the tribe, the witness, that we call the Book of Mormon, that was delivered by the angel Moroni 
which in the book of Revelation says that there will be an angel sent from the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, crying with a loud voice, saying, Repent ye, repent ye, the day of the Lord is at hand. This is part of the restoration of all things. And because the early Christian church had been hijacked by the Romans, by the pagans, by Satan's servants, there had to be a restoration. And Joseph Smith was the one who was chosen to prepare the way for Zion's redemption, for the restoration and the restitution of all things. That we all might come in the unity of the faith. Many Christian churches will say the apostles and the prophets are done away with. But Ephesians chapter 4 states that these offices of apostles and prophets are in effect until all come in the unity of the faith. That has not happened yet. But it will when the remnant come into the unity of the faith. And then it will when every knee bows and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. And there will be no more use for prophets and apostles at that point. But Ephesians says that these offices would be in effect until all come in the unity of the faith. Yet the Christians will say that those offices do not exist anymore. Or they have some other excuse for it because they operate on the logic of man, not on the revelations of God. And they reject his truth because it it doesn't go along with whatever they were raised with. So the whole Christian world is in confusion at this time because, because of the apostasy. And even though God did send Joseph Smith, the Gentiles in the church, which he created, the Church of Jesus Christ, they have taken the gospel and they have shed off a little here and a little there of the restoration in order to make the church seem more like the apostate Christians so that they can become popular with the world. And that's why Jesus Christ said he would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order implying it would become out of order, which it has. But getting back to this, Thou, Father, art with me, and I with thee, that they also may be agreed with us, and all come to, and all come to dwell in unity, and in all the, everlast, all the glory and everlasting burning of the Elohim, or the gods. And then we shall see as we are seen, and be as our Elohim, or our gods, and he is his father. I want to reason a little on this subject. I learned it by translating the papyrus, which is now in my house. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 372 through 373. Now, I have to address another thing real quick. According to the times and seasons, when the three scrolls that Joseph had were stretched out, there were something like 87 feet long altogether. Now you have these apostate liars 
who will say, well, we have the scrolls of Abraham and we don't see anything that they're talking. If you take all the fragments that they have, which were not burned in the fire of Chicago, you get about three feet. If you put them all together and measure it out, they're not even scrolls or fragments from the same portion of the scrolls. But you get about three feet. And then they'll say, oh, the book of Abraham is untrue because we have the evidence because we have the, the scrolls that they said were destroyed, which is a, it's a complete lie. They have about three feet of the 87 feet that were originally part that were talked about in the Times and Seasons, which is a church publication in Nauvoo. I'm pretty sure it was right around 87 feet long. All three scrolls put together, 87 feet. And now they have three and they say, oh, Joseph Smith was such a liar. We have the evidence. No, they don't have the evidence. For those of you who have been deceived by by such imbecilic trope as the CES letter and Jeremy Reynolds... I have complete contempt for that deceiver. And I have contempt for the LDS church too for deceiving. But I have complete contempt for that deceiver because there are so many lies within the CES letter. And the reason I have contempt, I had contempt before when it first came out. But I had a friend put a gun in his mouth and blow his head off because of the CES letter. He left a wife who was not very supportive of him. He left one son. He left his mother and his father and his brother and his sister and his grandparents and his aunts and his uncles and his cousins. He put a gun to his head in, in Ogden, Utah, and he blew his, his, his brains out because of the CES letter, because of the lies contained within it. So I have complete contempt. And when I hear them trying to make their, their arguments about how Joseph Smith is a false prophet because they have the evidence that the book of Abraham couldn't have been translated by the blah 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 and whatever. Knowing the fact that they have three feet worth of fragmented skull scroll remnants it's the, the lies are filthy and disgusting and they follow their their father the devil. These apostate Mormons who will lie to denigrate the true prophet Joseph Smith and I cannot wait to sit on the judgment bar of Christ to judge them for what they have done for the untold things that they might not even, the ripple effect of what Jeremy Reynolds has done It's disgusting. But, um, so, you know, Joseph Smith learned these things from studying the scroll. 
And that scroll, for the most part, was destroyed in the Chicago fire. And the only reason we have the fragments that we have is because there were clippings taken that that Emma took to sell because she was left a widow and everybody abandoned her not everybody but a fair majority like they all abandoned this 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 widow of Joseph Smith and she had to make money and she had these scrolls of Abraham and she would clip fragments and frame them and sell them that's why we have those fragments but the majority of it was was destroyed in the Chicago fire in the museum in Chicago Anyway, about the same time, Joseph also explained, and we're on page 120 of 61%. In the very beginning, the Bible shows there is a plurality of gods beyond the power of refutation. It is a great subject I am dwelling on. The word Elohim ought to be in the plural all the way through, which is where, you know, every, everywhere it says gods, or God, it should be Elohim, or El, but for the most part. Whenever it says um, the Lord our God, it should it should say Yehovah our Elohim. Because Elohim is a title, it means mighty ones. It doesn't just mean God. It isn't just the plural of God. It literally means mighty ones. So Yehovah is our mighty one. The head of the gods, talking about God the Eternal Father, appointed one God for us, that's Jehovah our Elohim. And when you take that view of the subject, it sets one free to see all of the beauty, holiness, and perfection of the gods or the Elohim. And that comes from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 372. The prophet Joseph also explained the roles these gods played during the creation. The head god called together the gods, or the head god, or the head of the Elohim, who is Adam Amen, called together the council of the Elohim, or the gods, and sat in grand council to bring forth the world. The grand counselors sat at the head in yonder heavens and contemplated the creation of the worlds which were created at the time. I would say at that time. In the beginning, the head of the gods called the council of the gods, and they came together and concocted a plan to create the world and to people it. That comes from Joseph Smith, and it's recorded in Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 307 and 308. Every man who has a calling to minister to the inhabitants of the world has ordained to the, was ordained to that very purpose in the Grand Council of Heaven before the world was. I suppose I, and this is Joseph Smith speaking, I suppose I was ordained to this very office in that grand council. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 363. And let me tell you, in the vision where I was shown who I am, Joseph Smith stood next to me. We stood together in the council of the mighty and strong ones 
which are twelve, which stand before the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, who are also mighty and strong. So that's fifteen. Joseph Smith was one who was mighty and strong. We stood next to each other in that in that quorum. And he was chosen to become the Elias to prepare the way for Zion's redemption. And I was chosen to become the witness and to come at this time in the history of this earth to finish the work. We're not even close to being finished. We're still in the beginning phases of it. People are beginning to wake up, but I am also teaching, and um, and the sealing power has been restored. The church had been rejected according to Doctrine and Covenants section 124 and according to Lyman White as he recorded the words of Joseph Smith in Nauvoo in 1843 that the church had been rejected, which is what Jesus said in section 124, that he would reject the church if they were not obedient in doing the things which he said for them to do, and they didn't. So the Elias, which came to prepare the way, was taken, even though the restoration was not complete. There was a 160-year curse, and at the very end of that 160 years, the sailing ordinances and the sailing power was restored by the Father himself with the fullness of the priesthood on the earth to me directly under his very own hands. Continuing on, Parley P. Pratt also mentioned this great council concerning concerned with creation. A general assembly, a quorum, or grand council of the gods, or the Elohim, with their, presid- with their president at their head, constitutes the designing and creating power. And that's in his book, Key to Theology, page 51. Brigham Young and others said that the oneness theory of the Godhead really referred to their unity. And we're on page 121, 81%. And this is Brigham Young's quote. The Holy Ghost, we believe, is one of the characters that form the Trinity or the Godhead. Not one person in three, nor three persons in one, but the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost are one in essence as the hearts are of three men who are united in all things. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 95. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three separate personages. We're just people. Well, we're whatever. Or three individuals, but they are one in purpose and agreement and unity and serve as the Godhead for this world or basically the first presidency of this earth. It's the same structure as was set up in the church. Jesus Christ is over the church in theory, right? At least that's what they teach. And then you have the first president of the church who is the prophet He's the president of the church, and he usually has two counselors. It's the same structure with the with this earth. Jehovah is over the whole thing, and his prophet, 
his first president is Michael, who is Adam. And Michael has two counselors or two witnesses, God the Redeemer and God the Witness. Continuing on, however, in the information below, Brigham Young is referring to a different Godhead who helped in the creation of this earth. Quote, and this, like I've tried to explain this, and I think a lot of you really understand this now, what what Brigham Young's talking about here. Uh, of course, you know, there's room for misinterpretation because... Excuse me. People, people take what they know and then they try to figure it out with things they assume and it just goes awry and skews everything. But anyway, we'll get into this. It is true that the earth was organized by three distinct characters, namely Elohim, more correctly Elohim, Yehovah, and Michael. These three forming a quorum as in all heavenly bodies and in organized organized element perfectly represent in deity as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Teachings of Brigham Young, um, a book compiled by Fred Collier, Volume 3, page 94. I do have a problem with this, though. Brigham Young didn't know the name of Jehovah's God or Jehovah's Father. And neither do I, quite frankly. So when he talks about Elohim, he should be talking about the Elohim. So Jehovah is an Elohim, and the one above him is an Elohim. So he calls him Elohim, but he had a name that was not Jehovah. (laughs) So, and when it it talks about this, it says, um, Elohim, who is a title, not a name. We could call him Raphael if we want. Raphael, our Elohim. That's not doctrine. I'm just using that as a place. So in this, Brigham Young would be basically saying that the first presidency used to be this one who was an Elohim, and then Jehovah was the Redeemer, and then Michael was the Spirit. But we're past that now. Well, Jehovah is our Elohim. Michael is our Adam. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, and and I am the witness. Anyway, uh, I think I think Brigham Young was trying, to, really trying to to understand these things, but he did say at the end of his life that the heavens had been like brass to him. He was basically shut out from the heavens. And he did fulfill a role in leading a cursed and rejected church, but he was not a prophet, seer, and revelator. Okay. Oh, we're pretty close to the the ending. I'm actually almost, um, we're almost done, but I have to go to work today. So I, uh, Right after I do this, I have to uh, gather all my things, and then I have to go to the store and get food from my refrigerator, because I'll be on the road for four days, 
and um, get all the things that I need. Then I have to go do a really good pre-trip inspection and make sure all of my tools and my hoses and everything is is good to go and make sure nothing's broken. Then I have to pack my truck and I've got a long day ahead of me, but um, I don't have to uh, leave the yard until four and it's nine nineteen right now. So I do have a little bit of time, but I just felt like I wanted to get this chapter out because it's such an important chapter. Anyway, continuing on. So we can conclude that the earth was created by more than one person. It was a quorum, namely Elohim, Jehovah, or Jehovah, and Michael. So, and we get this from the endowment, but it's the council of the gods who are called the Elohim that instruct Jehovah to take Michael to, to create the earth. Yehovah, our Elohim, is instructing Michael how to do it. He's like basically showing him and assisting him, but Michael's the one that's doing the work. That's why Michael's called God the Creator, which Joseph Smith says is the the name and title of God the Father, God the Creator. Anyway, and probably many others had a hand in it. And we know that from Job, where Job's basically being reprimanded, and he's like, where were you when the... The sons of God shouted for joy, and they they all created the earth, right? The B'nai Elohim. <laughs> anyway, continuing. Apparently, only one was given the responsibility of being an overseer and principal creator, and many others assisted in various capacity. Little is known as to what particular work each had, but it is of little importance to us at this time. So anyway, when I come back next week, because I will not, probably will not be doing a program while I'm in the truck on my tour of duty, hauling crude oil from the basin to the to Castle Valley. Um, but when I come back and I've recovered for a day or two, um, I'll try to get chapter 13 out next week. And that's the father-son relationship so um as always i will provide a link in in the description of the podcast for people to read this chapter to read along with this chapter and also there will be a link in the description of the podcast to read this book so you can go on and read chapter 13 if you want or you can read the whole book if you want and then there will be a link for Um, other books of restoration theology which are very interesting and there's a lot of truth in them and i enjoy them very much so anyway um i'll put those links in the description of this podcast and i'll get this podcast out as soon as i can it will be today so and today is um what is today oh it's september 11th Oh, man. It's 22 years since the, uh, the false flag attacks on on um, on the trade towers in New York. At the time, I was actually driving a semi-truck, and I was on the southwest... Well, it wasn't quite... It was the west side of the belt loop that goes around Atlanta, Georgia. And 
I heard all of these tr truckers on their CB radios because truckers actually used to use CB radios back then, 2001, and they were they were screaming, "We're under attack! America's under attack!" And I was kind of, I'd just say a jackass, and I said, "Yes, and aliens have landed at the White House, and." And they want to see our leader or something like that. Some stupid remark. And he said, no, turn on your radio or your uh, your AMFM radio or your TV. We're under attack. And I was like, what? So I turned it on and and um, actually my uncle who... I was training how to become a truck driver. He was sleeping in the back and I was yelling at him. I said, turn it on. And so I woke him up and we just transitioned from the belt loop onto um, I-20. And I remember pulling over to the shoulder of the road and turning and, and like pulling the air brakes and turning and watching. And we had a TV with an antenna and everything so we could get local channels wherever we're at. And the first thing I saw was a replay of, of the second plane hitting the, the second twin tower that was hit. And I immediately thought of all those people who were murdered. And this is before the towers fell. And I remember calling my mom and I couldn't even talk. I was just, I was just crying. And I couldn't get the words out. And I finally got the words out, turn on your TV. And she says, what is happening? Then she turned it on and she was like, oh my God. And then we watched live as the towers fell. And the whole nation was under fear because we didn't know how many more attacks there were. And then we heard about the Pentagon getting hit. And we heard about this airplane in Pennsylvania that, that crashed. And we had no idea how many more attacks there would be. And the whole country was just in fear. And then Trade Tower 7 fell, which is weird because it wasn't hit by an airplane. I actually believe that that plane that crashed in Pennsylvania was supposed to hit Tower 7. Building 7. And that... Um, Silverstein, the one who owns the whole tower, Twin Tower complex... Uh, that they had laced the buildings with uh, nanothermite. So that when the planes hit, they were able to collapse the buildings. I believe it was a false flag operation. There's a lot of reasons for that. One of the things that God, like, 
over the years, like he will tell me, okay, pick, take this subject and I want you to study this to the best of your ability. And he'll inspire me. He'll say, okay, go look over here, go look over here, read this, read that, do this, do that. And I will study certain topics out. I studied um, the founding of this country, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I've studied history. I've studied scripture. I've studied um, all of the major and minor religions of the world. All of them. Um, unless they're like so minuscule that it's just like one branch in the Congo or something. But um, I've studied all of these things in depth. And one of the, the, the periods of time that God had me study things, he wanted me to study um, secret societies. And he wanted me to study things like Bohemian Grove, the Illuminati, the Bilderberg Group, the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, I got into a whole bunch of stuff about Ruby Ridge about Waco and the significance of, of David Koresh and what happened there, um, the significance of what happened with the World Trade Tower uh, ex- uh, bombings in 1993 and also in 2001. Like, I've gone into detail with all of these things, looking at both sides and really studying these topics. And I personally believe that this was a false flag operation and that this... What is the anniversary of today, September 11th, that this is um, this is just one of the many chess moves that that the the Illuminati and the Bilderberg group have have used to move this world in the direction that they want it to be moved for the dominance and control and destruction of of society, our society, so that they can create a new world order. So anyway, um, all interesting stuff, to be sure. But uh, today is September 11th, 2023, and tomorrow is my son's 18th birthday. He's my oldest, and he graduated high school this spring, and he's taking some time off. Well, first of all, he can't really, like the jobs that he's qualified to do, he has to be 18 to do them, so he's been waiting for this moment. Um, He's been trained in um, computer repair, and they actually wanted to hire him to repair apples or apple uh, like iPads and iPhones and all of that fun stuff, MacBooks. And he actually has gotten pretty good at it. But he couldn't officially work for them until he was 18. So he turns 18 tomorrow. So unfortunately I won't be here because I'll be on my tour of duty Um which starts today. So, all right, well, I'm going to be done with this program. I really appreciate everyone who, who listens and takes the time to, to read the, 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 what I provide for them. And, um, 
it looks like I'm right on time too because Arius, my four-year-old, is just coming down the stairs. Hi, Arius. Hi. You want to say hi to the people? Come here. I'll open that for you in a minute. He's got a toy that he wants me to open. Hey, come here. Because I want you to say hi to the people. Say hi to the people. Hi. Say hi to the people. Oh, he's very interested. We bought him a a semi-truck with monster trucks on it. it. It's like a car carrier, and it hauls monster trucks around. And it's still in the packaging, and he's very interested in it. So, All right, well, that's the end of the program. Thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye.